We're going to talk this morning about, about thirst. But I guess I'll call it the, the, the secret of a satisfied life. I really, uh, I am honored to be here. I didn't know I would, I didn't know I would be back to preach. You know, when you leave, you, there's no guarantees you're ever going to come back. And uh, we have had a wonderful time. It's been challenging. It's been invigorating. It's been fun. It's been tough. It's been everything you can imagine. Everything that Phil you went through back in the, you know, what was that, the 70s, planting this church, that's what I'm going through right now. Just a little older than you when we started, so you know to pray for me. But I, I, uh, it's just been, it's been obviously the will of God for my life and my family to go and plant a church. Um, it's just a blast. The only thing that's difficult, and I really mean this honestly, the only hard part about it is it's just missing people that I love and have been with for a long time. That's the hard part. You know, I can't imagine the missionary that gets on a plane and goes to, you know, Ethiopia, and they're gone. They're really far away. But it feels like Ethiopia over there in Vallejo, you know. And um, I, I, I did think that, you know, we would end up in a loft somewhere, you know, in a warehouse, and our little family would be in a loft. I had no guarantee, still don't. Don't know where that's all going, but uh, I, I had no idea it would be so nice. Had I known it was going to be so nice, I probably would have left 10 years ago. But... Um, <laughs> No, God, God has been good. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about thirst. And for whatever reason, God has been sending lots of people to our church that have um, differing, differing views as it relates to the Holy Spirit. And um, I've been on a journey, to be quite honest with you, as to what, what, what I understand the Holy Spirit's role to be in the life of a, of a Christian and the place in the church. Where does he fit and what does that look like? And, and God has just sent a lot of... Um, I guess, for lack of a better term, charismatic types to the church. And so we, we are, it's an interesting place, and sometimes you hear groans when, when we're singing, and, and, and you know, I'm kind of in the front row going, oh, what's going on behind me, you know, kind of a thing. You, you know, you've been there, I've been here, and I've, you know, kind of a thing. And I, but I would say in the middle of all that God's doing with us, um, the people that he's sending to us, have been a great blessing to my heart and have challenged me to really rethink um, what, where I'm at with the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit. And so I started a series uh, a couple weeks ago on the Holy Spirit really out of self-preservation. I really, I mean, for the last year I've been studying the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Of course, I sat under Phil and read lots of books and really wanted to make sure that, you know, because I don't want to get, you know, ooey gooey, you know, you know, I, I, I learned the Bible, right? So I know that there's revelation here, and I can bank on that, you know, because everyone's got a word for you. Well, I shouldn't say that. Some people have words from the Lord. You ever had anyone give you a word from the Lord? Right? Well, how do you know it's a word from the Lord? There's a lot of questions related to all that stuff. So I've been just digging in deep and, and whatnot, and so I started this series and, and kind of uh, landed in this passage, at least to launch our own series. And, and um, I felt as I was preparing this sermon for our church a few weeks ago that it was, it was, there was a dual purpose. I really felt like the Lord wanted me to not only preach this at Boundless Grace, but to bring this to Valley Bible. So if you're in John chapter 7, we're going to start reading in verse 37. It says, On the last day of the, great, uh, the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to later receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the Scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem and the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but, one, uh, but no one laid a hand on him. And, and we won't go any further. We can maybe touch on, on this whole, uh, the rest of the passage. But I would, I would start just a, this message with a warm-up question, okay? Jesus has made a statement, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. Um, are you thirsty this morning? Now, I, 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 it, it's just a rhetorical question, but, you know, it's important that you really think about that. Are you thirsty? Um, Max Lucado says this in his book, Come Thirsty, deprive your soul of spiritual water and your soul will tell on you. Dehydrated hearts send, desp send desperate messages. Snarling temper, waves of worry, growling mastodons of guilt and fear, Hopelessness, sleeplessness, loneliness, resentment, irritability, insecurity. These are all warnings, symptoms of a dryness deep within. I think of what David said in Psalms 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my, my, so, uh, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirst for the living God. I, I have to say that, that this passage, there's really three ideas I'm going to try to communicate in the next several minutes. First thing is, is that um, the problem, I think what Jesus was trying to get at here, and we'll, we'll touch, with the, touch on the context, the problem with religion is that it doesn't satisfy your thirst. It just can't satisfy the thirsty soul. The second thing is the person of Christ alone can satisfy a thirsty soul. And third, the promise of the Holy Spirit was meant to saturate and satisfy our soul. Let me give you the context for this. It's, it's, it's pretty important. Jesus attends this feast, and he attends this feast not because he wants to, because if you look closely at the context, he really doesn't want to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. He knows that when he gets into Jerusalem from Galilee, the religious rulers are there. They're wanting to, they're wanting to arrest him. They're wanting to stop what he's about. And so they, they are not, you know, he knows that, that he's in for it if he goes into Jerusalem. And so he's reluctant to go. His own brothers are taunting him. They're saying, Jesus, you know, you, you know, you, you've, you've declared yourself to be the Messiah, you, you know, and you, we've seen some of your miracles. Why don't you go to Jerusalem? It's time. Let's go to the feast. Get out in the open limelight and let everyone know that you're the Messiah. It's time. But it's interesting. It says in the beginning of chapter 7 that his own brothers didn't believe him. So they didn't believe in who Jesus, his own brother was. But, but they're taunting him. Okay, if you're really who you say you are, get into Jerusalem and prove it. Right? So the Bible says in the context, you can read it later, that Jesus secretly goes into Jerusalem. 
So he gets into, into the city, and he's kind of flying under the radar. He doesn't want to be seen because he knows if he's seen, it's, it's not a good thing. So he, he, he gets into Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles is a feast that had been going on for 1,000 or 2,000, 3,000 years. It's been a long time. In Leviticus 23, this feast is described, and it basically went this way. Every year, God's people were to go into Jerusalem, and they would set up these tents, i.e. tabernacles, right? Word tabernacle, tent, same idea. And God had told his people, I want you every year to celebrate this feast by going into Jerusalem, setting up these tents, living in these tents for seven days. It'll be a seven-day party. This was the last of all the Jewish holidays. It was the fun party. It was a, it was a celebration. It was, the, it was the best of them because there's just, it's time to remember everything that God has done to bless us. And, and so we want you to bring your tents. Now get this picture. I know most of you have probably not been to Israel, but you get to Israel, you get into the inner city, you see those old, beautiful, old walls of the city, and, and God's people from all over the region are flooding into Jerusalem. And they're coming in with their families, they're coming in to set up their tents, and they set up their tents all around the temple area. All around the city of Jerusalem, people are living in tent cities. Can you get the picture? Huge, huge tent city. And everyone's enjoying seven days of, of festival. And, and what the priest would do is every day the priest would get up. This was a part of the procession. The priest would, would gather together in the temple, and they would get their golden chalices, and they would be... Um, these jugs, golden jugs, and they would walk out of the temple courts into the parade, into the tent city with all the people doing their stuff, playing their instruments, chanting, all, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole uh, pomp and circumstance of things is going on. And the priest would then march to the pool of Siloam and, and fill these jugs with water, okay? And they would come back, and this was out, they'd have to walk outside of the city, outside the city walls. So it's quite a journey. And so you get the picture of these holy men with their robes and their pomp and circumstance. They're all heading towards this, this freshwater reservoir to fill their jugs. And so the, we got the priest. We got all of you know, God's people behind the priest. And it's a big, big you know, deal. And they're chanting. It. Some believe they're chanting Psalms 78. And, and, and some believe they're chanting um, uh, Ezekiel. And there's different different ideas as to what the people are doing but there's certainly a lot of commotion going on the priests get these water jugs they make their way back to the altar and they march around the altar seven times and when they get done marching around the altar they pour their water on this big flaming altar is just a big huge fire pit and they pour this water into this fire pit and of course when you put water on fire you got steam so you got this it's quite a show quite an awesome thing the whole idea was to remember God's faithfulness to his people, especially, and it was this, this holiday or this festival was related to when God's people were led out of Egypt. And if you know anything about the story, and I know you do, that the people of God, when they were in Egypt, when they were in the desert fleeing Egypt, God provided their food, didn't he? More important than food, God provided their water. <laughs> One thing you desperately need when you're in the desert, and that is water. And so this whole festival was focused on God's provision of all that he had provided for God's people thousands of years before, and he wanted his people to remember his provision, his goodness to them, and the water represented that, as, as uh, Paul says, it, that water came from the rock, which was Christ. They wanted to get their focus on, on um, God wanted his people to understand who he was. 
So that's the picture. That's the scene. And so on the, on the final day of the festival, the, the people are following the priests and they get to the temple and they're pouring these, these jugs of water on this burning fire pit, the altar of God. And in the midst of this, in that context, Jesus stands up and in a loud voice he says, Is anyone thirsty? In other words, it wasn't it wasn't, um, it wasn't a pleasant, nice, hey, is anyone thirsty here today? I want to give you some water that will bless your soul and make your life better. Jesus, I get the feeling he was irritated. He was irritated because the people of God had, had, had missed the whole idea. It's easy to go through all the pomp and all the circumstance of religious routine and miss the very person of Christ. Did you know that? You ever done that? Come on now. I want, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm free to preach, all right? No, yeah. Tell me, brother. Come on now. You ever been there? You ever been to church? You're going, I'm here, but I'm not here. I'm doing it because it's a good habit, and it is. Trust me, it is. It's a, but you've gone through, and you, you can sing the songs on autopilot. You can go through all of the routine, hand out the bullets, do whatever you do. And, and by the end of the day, you go home, and you, st you just feel like, why am I still thirsty? You ever been there? I have. Sure, I have. Every honest person would have to say you have. And Jesus has got all of God's people, and he's just, he, he's had enough. You remember, he's hiding in the, look at the context. He's hiding. He's in the, he's in the shadows. He doesn't want to make his stand. He knows it's going to be trouble. But he's so irritated. He's had enough. You just hear, enough! This is not what it's about. This is not what God came to do for you. You've replaced me for ceremony and pomp and circumstance. I was watching the Easter service uh, from Rome, Easter morning. I, I always watch preachers and whatnot before I go to church. and You know, crosses and robes and routine. And oh, I'm like, where, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm wanting to get blessed here, but where's it at? I've watched the royal wedding. Anyone watch the royal wedding? You know, I, I really wanted to see that. I don't know why. There's, maybe because I got three girls. I don't know. I, 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 well, of course, I didn't wait. I didn't watch it at four in the morning. I waited for the CNN the next day. And so I'm watching the royal wedding. And I would tell you, it had to be the most boring thing in the world. Huh? All kinds of ceremony and pomp. And I'm looking at the, the cameras would pan in on the faces. And there's no smiles on their faces. It's like, is this a wedding or is this a funeral? I, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny. It's just reality. I'm like, what in the world's the deal? This is a wedding. This is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be ceremony. This is supposed to be life. This is a blessing. How did you strip it of all of its beauty by crosses and robes and trinkets and, and rhetorical gibberish? Religion has a way of of doing that, doesn't it? I like to say ceremony can cramp Christ right out of the picture.
Religion can pacify but not satisfy the heart. You hear me? When I was a 14-year-old boy, I was in church. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't get him. I saw all the, all the routine of church, very clockworkish. But I didn't get Christ in that. And I'm not sure it was even the church's fault. It wasn't, it was, that was a long time ago. It was just, I, God hadn't opened my eyes. I didn't understand. I, I, I thought I could fulfill my thirst somewhere else. That was the real deal. So you get this picture when Jesus stands up at the temple. He's not standing up in some nice context. He's very, very frustrated. If you're thirsty, step away from all of that and come to me. You've got to come to me. It's in me that you'll be satisfied. It's in me that you'll be fulfilled. It's in me that you'll have power. It's in me that you'll have purpose. It's not in... Church is a wonderful thing. Now I'm kind of, you know, trying to contextualize this in our context. It's a wonderful thing to go to church, but churches cannot, cannot replace Christ. You will not be satisfied in church. If you're looking for Pastor Phil or the choir to meet that thirst of your soul, they cannot do it. Nobody can do that. That is coming to Jesus. That is coming to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, I want to tell you, I, I'm a people watcher. I watch people a lot. You know, here we are. We're called boundless grace. And I've been praying, God, I want to have a bountiful heart of grace for people. Sometimes, to be honest with you, it's hard because people fill seats and go, where's Jesus at? Really, where's Jesus at? You seem so unhappy. You seem so unfulfilled. You seem so fickle. Where's Jesus at in this? The Jesus I met when my daddy picked me up in Oregon, he had transformed my very core of my being. I knew that I could be broke the rest of my life and be happy. I'm, that God is my witness. I knew I was free. I did not. It was like, I have enough, Lord. Of course, when the Giants won the World Series last year, I was like, Simeon, I can depart in peace now. Everything's good. But really, that, <laughs> that's not in my notes. Trust me. I think of what the, the prophet Jeremiah said about God's people. My people, you know, God's prophets had a tough job. They were having to state the obvious. Jeremiah 2, 13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jesus is looking at this mass of humanity, his people, and they, no doubt, Jeremiah's prophecy was right, happening right in front of Christ. They've forsaken me, and they've decided to dig their own wells. And we do that, don't we? Aren't we, aren't we a, a, a people that like to find our fulfillment everywhere else but Christ? Someone has said that oftentimes Christ is not first. He's, a, he's the last choice we go after. You know, I, I wished I could say that when I was 14, I heard the gospel the first time, said, I love Jesus, I'm following him all my life. No, I, I, I thought I could find some satisfaction somewhere else. How about you? 
I was looking for it. I was thirsty. A lot of people find it for a little while, even in religion. You know, it, it will pacify for a while. There are people in churches all over the place just keep going and going and going and going. But if they were honest with themselves, they looked themselves in the mirror, they might say to themselves, I'm thirsty. Because religion won't, won't quench the thirsty soul. Of course, pleasures won't, thirsty, uh, won't quench it either, will they? We, we, you know, living in a, it's kind of interesting on Sunday morning to walk into the building where we have church because it is, it's on a golf course. And so the parking lot's filling up, and I've got my Bible, and I'm walking into this building, and all these men are pulling out their golf clubs. <laughs> and I like to golf, right? So I'm like, you dogs, right? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, they're putting their, they're, they're climbing in, you know, it's Sunday morning. They're, they've dug wells for themselves. Not all of them. Some of them might just be a good Christian man who decided he needed a day off from church. I don't know. Jim Snyder type or <laughs> you're faithful brother but it's interesting you know um, Paul and you know it you've heard it a million times in the last days people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and we know that they're a part of the the church because Paul says having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof that, that, but but it's, God is just one, one of many things on our list, right? I, I really get my joy outside. I just come to do my religious duty. I, I hope, if this is uncomfortable, to be honest with you, I'm not here. To, I really don't want, want you to be uncomfortable. If the Spirit of God, but I, I just know, I know the human race. I'm one of them. I, I, I understand. There's a lot of things that are pulling at us, isn't there? I mean, just to keep us feeling pacified. We're never satisfied. We're just pacified. Get us a new flat screen TV. Let's go to another party. Let's go to get some tickets to the next event. And, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And the simplicity of Christ can be just so um, watered down. The, the, the joy of just knowing Jesus can be lost in all of the midst, midst of all of the, the pleasures of the world. Humanity... I think is chasing the dragon. Street language. The word chasing the dragon means that people, heroin addicts, they're known for when they take heroin, the reason they get hooked is their first hit. Their first high is the best. So they spend the rest of their life trying to duplicate that high. And, so they, and they never do because you can never get, by definition, you never get that same high again. And the human race, I think, is chasing the dragon. We've, we found pleasure in all kinds of things, and we continue to go after things. But I'm telling you, you'll find yourself at the end of the day with no pleasure. No, no it just doesn't satisfy. And certainly, um, people don't satisfy. You know, I, I was watching the royal wedding, and there was a... There was a um, Uh, I'll scratch that. Did a funeral the other day. Was asked by a, a lady to come and do this funeral for her daughter. It was a bad situation. When I got to this event, it was at a sports club, and um, most of the people there were people I either knew from way back when, 
for they were of the same caliber, if you, if you get the picture. And I step into this room and, and, and I'm asked to get up and talk and I share some things, trying to bring some encouragement and some hope. And when I'm done, I stand back and I walk into this little bar area. And literally it was a bar area and there was, there was containers with ice and beer and soda and I don't know what else was in the container. And I'm sitting back at the, in this room with this, this gal whose sister had just passed away. And I'm back there and I'm trying to encourage her and I'm trying to comfort her and I'm just loving on her. I've known this girl for a long, long time. And this lady comes through the door and she looks to be, I don't know what I, how old I look, but just picture her looking 40 years older than me. And she comes in, she's got a little cane like this, and she says, could I have a cup for my butt? Could I have a cup for my butt? Could I have a cup for my butt? And I'm looking at her, and I don't know what she's saying. I'm trying hard to hear what she has to say. And it dawned on me, what she was asking for is a cup for her Budweiser. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know where there were any cups. And then the gal that I was comforting said, do you know who that is? And I said, no. And she told me who it was. And it was a girl that I had gone to high school with. And here, some 30 years later, whatever it is, she's still trying to fulfill that thirst. My heart sank. I felt sick inside that the human race has still got a cup for my butt. They're thirsty. The world is so, so, so thirsty. And somebody, somebody, He's got to get to them and say, there, there's somebody that can satisfy your thirst. And it's not. It's Christ, isn't it? Well, let me get to the second point. The person of Christ alone can satisfy. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come unto me. Drink from me. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, Our souls remain restless until they find thy rest in thee. You know, to get your, your, your thirst quenched, it doesn't get quenched in principles. It's not going to be quenched in precepts. You follow me? It's not going to be quenched. Your soul isn't quenched by programs. You, you can go to all the programs and hear all the principles and read all the books and get all the information in your, in your head. That, but Jesus was saying the, the, the secret to satisfaction isn't found in a how-to book, isn't found in more information. The key to the soul's satisfaction is found in the person of Christ. And Jesus says, come to me. I think what he says in, in Luke, he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will satisfy you. Come to me, and I'll quench your thirst. Come to me, and you'll have joy. Come to me. And, and, and sometimes I think we, we people, I think people think that, I, I, I went to church. Didn't do it. It can't 
you've got to come to a person. You've got to come to a person. It's not in a principle, not in a precept, not in a program, and not even in a person unless that person is Jesus Christ. Watching the royal wedding, something that really was, was uh, one of the bright spots of the wedding was the Reverend Richard Cartese, the Bishop of London, was the man who did the wedding. He said this to this young couple. As the re reality of God has faded from so many lives in the West, there has been a corresponding inflation of expectations that personal relations alone will supply meaning and happiness in life. This is a, a load to our partner this is to load our partner with too great a burden. We are all incomplete. We all need the love which is secure rather than oppressive. We need mutual forgiveness to thrive. As we move towards our partner in love, following the example of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is quickened within us and can increasingly fill our lives with light. What he told that couple, I mean, it was eloquent, it was beautiful, but he was right. In the West, we have said, if you want fulfillment, find it in another person. And so people are getting married and divorced and married and divorced because they look for it and that other person dissatisfies them. It's just a matter of time, isn't it? We think that if I just find Mr. or Mrs. Right, my life's going to be right. My life's going to be full. And this man had it right. Young, you, 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 you young people. Listen to me. Don't try to, to meet the deepest need of, of your mate's soul because you cannot. You cannot. There's only one that can satisfy the soul. His name is Jesus. Now, let me get that down to brass tacks here for people that are single. The downside is, is when you look for somebody thinking they will meet your need, your ultimate need, what happens is you lose and they lose. And a lot of people end up broken because they, they went into it the wrong, wrong expectation. I would just say to you, if you're single here, understand this. Hear me well. Only Jesus can meet your deepest need. Uh, he, he, only Jesus will do it. You know, you remember the woman at the well? Jesus meets this woman at the well. And, and they both come for water. They're both coming because they're thirsty. And Jesus says, hey, you know, uh, I... You, you, would you like some water that will quench your thirst for good? This is my paraphrase, John 4. She says, um, well, you know, I know you're a religious man. I, before we even get into the water thing, let me just tell you this, Jesus. You know, I already have my religious thing figured out. She was pretty perceptive. She knew where he was going. I got that figured out. Us Samaritans, we worship on this mountain. You Jews, you worship over there. And so, you know, don't worry about that part of my life. Got that covered. And Jesus says, oh, ma'am, I know you're thirsty. You're, you've been married five times. And the man you're with now, you decided that you don't need to marry this one. That's too risky. You've already blown it a few times. Just hang out with this guy. Lady, you're trying to quench your thirst the wrong way. Not one of those men could ever, ever quench the thirst of your soul. Come to me. I will give you water that will bless your socks off. 
I will fill you with such joy. I will fill you with such peace. I will fill you with such contentment that, that not a man in sight will even know who you are anymore because you won't, you won't be desperate. You won't be desperate. People are desperate, aren't they? Come and drink. Drink from me. Listen, listen to what Spurgeon said. This is a quote for you, Phil because I know you love this man. This is profound. The pro proclamation is given so freely that everyone who thirsts is welcome. No other distinction is made but that of thirst. The thirst may be bad in itself and not a sign of grace, but rather a mark of inordinate sin longing to be gratified with deeper droughts of lust. But it is not goodness in the creature that which brings him the invitation. If you're thirsty and the world is thirsty and they're trying to fulfill their and satisfy their thirst in all kinds of different ways, it doesn't even matter which ways they, they come to us thirsty. Jesus is calling out to anyone, if you're thirsty, ma'am, I know you're thirsty. You're on your sixth guy. It's okay. I'm telling you, you need to come and drink. You, you, come, you come to me and you drink, you'll be, you'll be satisfied. Have you had a drink of Jesus? Really, no. You had, a, you had a drink of Jesus? Well, Jesus then, and I'll finish with this. I got 10 minutes? Pushing. pushing. <laughs> Jesus promised when he spoke of this living water, if you come to me, he says, I'll give you living water. And this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you come to me, what I'll give you in return is the Spirit of the living God. And the Spirit of the living God will well up in you and create rivers of life. It literally means that He will, there'll be torrents flowing through your soul. Can you imagine the mighty Mississippi called the Spirit of God going through your very soul? He says, you come to me and drink and the streams of living water, the torrents of the Spirit of God will begin to move in you and transform you and give you joy and give you peace and give you purpose. It's a Spirit of God thing. You, you follow me? It, it's only God can do that for you. Every other thing will just dry up. The wells dry up in time. Jesus doesn't dry up. The Spirit of God doesn't dry up. I wished I could preach to you for three hours just on the Spirit of God, and we would only be touching, just scratching the surface. But the Spirit of God is the very... I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 55 real, really quick. I'm running out of time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk fast. Isaiah 55, Jesus says, As the Scripture says, out of you will come rivers of, of living water. He doesn't tell us which reference he's speaking of in the Old Testament, but my guess he's referring to Isaiah 55 when, when Isaiah says, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest fare. Go down to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to, part, and to, to our God and he will freely pardon him. Go over to verse 11. So, this is, so, uh, is, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. 
it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. We don't have time to go into all of it, but you know what Jesus is doing? He's saying, I'm telling you, when you come to this, this spring, it's free. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. If you come to this spring and you drink of Christ, he will transform your life. I love that he says that you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace and the, and the mountains and the hills will sing. I remember when my dad first became a Christian, he told me, son, the thing that changed in me, the most significant change I noticed right away was the grass looked greener and the sky looked bluer. Life changes when you begin to drink of this water. The Spirit of God begins to transform your life it's no longer trying to just, you know, conjure up the strength to be a good moral person. No, no, the Spirit of God will transform you. He will make you into somebody you never thought you could be before. All you have to do is thirst. That's it. All you have to have is a thirst and come to Christ. Of course, the prophets spoke about the Holy Spirit. Isaiah said, For I will pour out water on a thirsty land, and the streams on dry ground, and I will pour my Spirit out on your offspring. And and, and, and my blessing will be on your descendants. Joel said, you, you know this from Acts 2, in the last days God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and our sons and daughters will prophesy and young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Uh, of course, Jesus talked to the, to, the, uh, uh, to the disciples, even Nicodemus who was at this event. He was at the Feast of the Tabernacles. He had to defend Christ before the religious rulers at this event because they came to get him. Nicodemus had earlier met Christ in an evening discussion and Jesus told him Nicodemus if you want to be satisfied if you want eternal life you can only get it by being born again and then he begins to talk about the Spirit of God the wind that would blow and the wind blows where it wishes but if that wind starts blowing you want to make sure that you're open to it come come wind, come on you know the disciples in the book of Acts they were told after the resurrection of Christ, Christ is in a resurrected body. He tells him, these men he's been discipling and shaping. He says, brothers, I want you not to leave Jerusalem and I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God falls on you and then you can go. But don't go anywhere until the Spirit's on you. And so in Acts chapter 2, we find them and they're praying. The 12 disciples, there's 120 of them in an upper room. You know what they were praying? What do you think they were praying? Jesus promised them that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And matter of fact, he said, you, when you pray, I want you, and this, this is in, in Luke 11, when you pray, you ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for him. Ask for him. Have you ever asked for him? He's not some obscure person out there. The God, Jesus said, when you pray, your daddies that are evil would give you what you want. I'm telling you, ask for the Holy Spirit. And on the last night on this earth, before he was crucified, he told them, I'm sending you another just like myself. He will not only be with you, he will be in you. He's the spirit of truth. He'll transform your life. He'll give you the ability to rejoice when trials hit. You, you don't have to be uh, troubled in heart. You know you've got, a, you've got a companion. You know, they were sitting in tents in this feast. And Jesus wanted them to know that the Spirit of God was going to fill their tent. The Feast of Tabernacles was going to go much deeper than just an external event in religion. It was going to become a reality in the soul of these men. So in, in Acts 2, when they're praying for the Holy Spirit, what happens? 
the Bible says the wind begins to blow. And the word spirit in Greek is wind, breath. The wind of God began to blow because they were praying, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. They were only being obedient. I ask you, have you asked for the Holy Spirit? Have you, asked for, have you ever asked for the Holy Spirit? I want to tell you, you read church history and you'll find that there's been revivals throughout the times, throughout the days, from the days of Christ to the present day where pe- the Spirit of God has landed in buildings like you remember you used to tell me in those college meetings when all those college kids, things are happening, people are falling on the ground, they're weeping, they're broken, people are confessing sin. I've read the history books. The Spirit of God will transform a life and transform a community, but we've got to just say, I'm thirsty, Lord. I'm thirsty. I want Christ. I want the Spirit of God. And I'll tell you, I'm just looking out at the church. I read this one guy. He said this. Today, you know, the old hymn used to be this way. We, we used to sing it years ago. The old hymn was, was uh, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Now, you've got to go back a ways. I know. Look for Holy Spirit songs today. You won't find any. I looked. I looked you got to go back to the 1700s to find songs on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Now we say, lights, camera, action. Let me tell you, you say, lights, camera, action, all you want. The Spirit of God, I've looked at people go, when are they going to get delivered? There's people in our church that are, up there, that are senior citizens that are alcoholics that have been in church their whole life. I know them. I visit them in the rehabs. They must, not have gotten the, they must not have gotten the drink. They must not have gotten the drink. And I would say to you, church, I really mean it. Pray that the Holy Spirit come into your life. Now, I know theologically you could say if you receive Christ, and, and you know, uh, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people who have it here that don't have it here. The Spirit of God wants to blow into your life. You'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be experience God in your life in a way. I, I preached this two weeks ago, and this lady, a friend of mine came and said, man, Ted, there's a lady out in the lobby, man. She's, she's thirsty. I said, thirsty? I said, I was praying with a young man. She said, I want this water. 22-year-old, I want this water. I said, young man. And she says, there's someone out there thirsty. I said, oh, that's great. Go, go help them. Well, I got a call two days later, this lady from Arkansas, in her 60s, said, Pastor Ted, yeah, that's how she talks. She's a great lady. She's been in church with us now for a year and a half. said, Pastor Ted, I need to meet with you this week. I said, okay. You know, usually as pastors, when you get calls, you think it's conflict resolution. They're leaving the church. They're mad, something. You just kind of gear yourself up for that. I get to, to sit down with her and her husband, and she says, something happened to me Sunday. It changed my life. I, I, I drank. Her husband's sitting there. He's kind of a quiet guy. He says, we want to get out of, the, out, of the, out of the driver's seat of our life. I didn't even talk about the driver's seat. Just said, get thirsty. Drink. He'll meet your need. He'll, fill your, he'll quench your thirst in life. And I want to tell you something. She came to the National Night of Prayer. And, and, and I thought, I'm going to see if she knows how to pray yet. <laughs> I said, hey, Jen, why don't you close this meeting in prayer? She looked at me like, what are you saying? I got you. I'm done. Just ask him. She started to pray. She started wailing before the Lord. 
She learned how to pray in one, one, one church service. She's got the Holy Spirit. I would say to you, pray for the Holy Spirit, would you? I better stop. I'm not done, but I'm done. God bless you. Thank you.